How's it going, ladies and gents? This is Christian with Liberty After Dark. I just wanted to come in real quick before we get started here to say uh, we had some technical difficulties at the beginning of the show trying to get our guest on. So sorry for that in advance uh, before you guys even listen to it. I cut most of it out, but if it sounds like the intro is a little bit uh, weird, like we've been on for a while, it's because we have dealing with technical difficulties. So I appreciate it and hope you guys enjoy the rest of the show. All right. So uh, for those of you who don't know on the... Oh, sorry. Yeah. For those of you who don't know on the stream, this is uh, the one and only David Andrew Gay. Uh, he is the admin two of Liberty Memes 3.0, better known as Dadman around these parts. No, no. I'm the creator at, of uh, Liberty Memes 3.0. I'm Liberty oh. Memes admin two. Okay. <laughs> maybe one day, maybe one day we'll get the page back, but I doubt it. Okay. I'm admin, I'm admin two over there. I created Liberty Memes 3.0, Liberty Memes Community Group. Okay, so you're admin one at 3.0. Is that what it is? <laughs> yeah, technically, but I'll still, I'll still, uh, yeah, you're right. I'll just step aside. Okay. <laughs> you know, you gotta give, gotta give admin one some love, you know? <laughs> he created the whole thing. Um, we were both making memes together before he had the page, and I was more doing the political activism with Rock Paul. So my Facebook was facebook.com slash liberty republican and his was dot com slash liberty memester okay so that was actually his facebook url of his original profile so if it's still up there and hasn't been permazuck you can actually look up liberty memester m-e-m-e-s-t-e-r as a facebook url and it'll come up with Peter's profile there you go so I wanted to get to you. You kind of touched on it a little bit there. I wanted to ask you, like, what uh, the beginning days of, like, the pre-Liberty memes into the beginning of Liberty memes and what, what all what started that. So just go ahead and tell your story. Yeah, so a lot of people already know this story that are watching. Maybe somebody doesn't. Um, we got started, well, originally we grew up in a very conservative household and traditionally Republican. And uh, so in 2000, most of the people in my family actually voted for George Bush. And one of the reasons we did that was because he ran on a humble foreign policy, like the whole anti-Clinton foreign policy. And if you remember, the Clinton foreign policy was to get us involved in places like Somalia and Haiti and Bosnia and Kosovo and wherever else. And um, we were supposed to be moving away from that. And actually, Clinton actually continued the original Bush senior policy of continuing to bomb Iraq and threaten Iran, and we were supposed to be moving away from that with George Bush, and he became, you know, precedent for, for the warmongering we have today. And people don't actually even remember Clinton for being the one who really got us involved in a lot of these places that we're in now, um, because they've got George Bush that they can throw it all on. And so around 2004, I was thinking that the Republican Party wasn't going to win because they needed an anti-war candidate. I didn't, it didn't come about in 2004 in the Republican Party, and I thought, well, I'm a Republican, so I want my team to win, so what we really need is an anti-war Republican. So again, so in 2006, I found out about Ron Paul and started supporting him, and in 2007, he announced he was running for president, and I thought, wow, well, these wars are really unpopular. And, but people re-elected the president last time, so we'll probably be able to win again as long as the new candidate is anti-war. Okay, yeah. As I thought, Ron Paul is here, you know, we can't lose. And I was very naive because I didn't realize all the tricks that they would pull, the media, the parties themselves, to make sure that he didn't get the vote or even get his message out during that election cycle. They treated him like a lunatic. He got the runaround, for sure. Yeah, hang on. No, you're fine. There's a little kitten in the street, and I want to... Another kitten? Is Dadman rescuing another kitten? Is that what's happening here? <laughs> no, she ran. She ran. Um, we bring her in the house sometimes, but she ran. Oh, I was going to bring her in the camera. But, uh, no, I just wanted to keep her out of the middle of the street. Because she goes in the middle of the street to get by a car. Anyway. So, what I was saying... Oh, yeah, so I thought when Ron Paul was running for president that we couldn't lose. <laughs> so I supported him, and I didn't like all the tricks that they pulled on him in 2008, and I worked really hard 
in 2011 when he ran for president again to do everything I could to make sure he didn't he didn't lose or, or at least we exposed some of the things that had been done to him the time before. So that's really where we got our start. Me and Peter were both on Ron Paul campaign and even to the point that I was the number one recruiter of volunteers for Ron Paul's campaign in the entire country, which is a big deal because you know how, how much of a grassroots campaign that was. Oh, yeah. Or if you weren't following it then, you, you've seen it now. It was all pure grassroots, and, and he got over a million votes. And to think that I was the one who got the majority of volunteers to sign up as volunteers for Ron Paul's campaign was like a really big deal. So I also got to, I, I was given the privilege of giving the introductory speech for Ron Paul's visit to Cornell University. It was really awesome. So anyway, that's kind of our start. We ran for office a couple times as well. We were endorsed by Ron Paul to run for office and didn't really pan out. Here in New York, we found out that the party system is pretty stacked. Even in cities that the Republican Party loses perennially, they still stack their system as like, some sort of merit, you know, merit system where you're not allowed to run for office unless you've done certain dirty with the party first. So there's a lot of party loyalty at play, even in districts that they plan to lose. They still won't let some upstart show up and try to run on their line, even if it's a good person who has good ideas and could win. They really don't care if you're not part of their system that's built up, you know, merit badges then you're not allowed to run for office on their line around here. And primaries almost always go in their favor because they're in charge of the Board of Elections and they won't give you a recount. Yeah, it's that good old boys club. It's Politics is yeah. known for it. So, so I was involved in that and I primaried one guy. Well, actually, I was running for city council in 2013 and I was publicly the favorite candidate and I was running unopposed in the Republican Party, so I, I had already got, you know, I was I was the favorite candidate to actually win. But what does the Republican Party do? They, you know, we can't have that. We can't have you win. <laughs> um, so they so they tapped a kid who was 18 years old who happened to be the son of a of a state Supreme Court justice. Mm. Uh, he had just flunked out of college for being bad and for for being a wild party animal. I have no problem with that. Um, but it was basically his parents pushing him out of the nest. So I had a, a money bomb event and raised like, like $12,000, $13,000. So I was trying to show them, hey, you know, I can raise money. It's a small district where you only really need to raise like $2,000 to win the seat. Yeah. And I raised like thirteen. So what did they do? They went out and they got all the elected officials in town, and I'm talking to Republicans and Democrats, to come to his fundraiser. And they all gave like a thousand bucks, and he raised like thirty-five thousand dollars. Good lord! That's and we're talking crazy. again about a seat that only cost fifteen hundred bucks. They raised like thirty grand. So you know they were they sent me the message that I was not going to be allowed to to run in the party and win. So after that, so after that experience, and that was one of the ones that Ron Paul actually came and even made a YouTube video with me. It was kind of hokey and silly, but it was just him saying, hey, David, I hear you're running for office, and I wish you the best. You know? <laughs> um, it was hokey, but, but you know, it's, it's nice. It was fun. Good family, uh, good family fun. Anyway, um, so when I lost that race and I saw all the tricks that they pulled, I was like, I don't want to be involved in elected politics. And Peter had been running the meme page for a few months, and every once in a while I would post a few things on it. And I started to realize that I, that I enjoyed being able to say absolutely everything I believe. You know, stop pretending that I'm some sort of conservative. When I talk to conservative voters, I'd rather just, you know, have my pure message out there. And so I kind of latched on to Peter's, to what Peter had already started with Liberty Memes. I said, you know, this, this is the best way that we can express ourselves. Um, at the time, there weren't 
all the issues that we have nowadays with algorithms trying to prevent you from getting your message out. At the time, if somebody liked your message and he shared it, all his friends would see it, and all their friends would see it if, if they shared it. Um, so it was the it was to me it was the most effective way of getting the message out there. I don't I didn't personally find after running for office that having knocked on people's doors who ended up not voting for me and you know it was like what was the point of that you know we went door to door and didn't get anybody to support liberty it was just about an election and about punching a card on a ballot instead of instead of the way we reach people with memes which the message can go worldwide in a heart I just I just felt like that was more effective and more uh, more responsible use of my time as a liberty activist. So just a second, because a car is coming playing really loud music. Okay. <laughs> Dang, that is loud music. There we go. <laughs> I, don't, I don't mind because my kids aren't in bed yet. Yeah. Well, hey, they they were thumping. They must have been uh, enjoying their night or something. <laughs> Yeah. So again, so I so I just found that I just found that posting memes was a more, uh, more effective use of my time. A hundred percent. I could see that. So I wanted to ask you. We kind of been touching on it a little bit here. Um, for those of you who watched the show before, you know, I typically when it comes to voting, I, I invoke the what I call the spooner in the whole sense that he has a quote that says he uses the the ballot in replace of the bullet. And uh, so I kind of wanted to get your opinion on what do you what do you think about voting? Are you a voter? Are you a non-voter? I mean, I was calling myself a libertarian Republican when I was running for the Republican line, and when I was on the libertarian ballot, I was calling myself a libertarian, but I'm more of an anarcho-capitalist, like sooner. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I will, I don't necessarily vote defensively because I really haven't found any opportunities to do that where I live. It's pretty much just Democrat districts, they're just going to win. Pretty much roll over yeah. and die. That's the thing. <laughs> So defensive voting for me, it's like, yeah, I mean, you do that if you're in a place where you really stand a chance of knocking down something horrendous. But where I live, pretty much nothing goes on the ballot but candidates. Okay. So there's not like ballot initiatives to lower taxes or yeah. opportunities <laughs> to set people free or, or legalize weed or whatever. There's just no opportunity to do that from the ballot box where I live. So there's almost no chance of really changing anything. <laughs> around here by <laughs> voting, you know, for one candidate. But every once in a while, a good Liberty candidate comes along um, that's like me when I ran, and, and it's tolerable, and I'll pull the lever for them. And uh, otherwise, I just I just go in the booth and write silly things in the ballot. I always vote, actually, which uh, I surprise people. But it's usually just me walking in there, filling the card with write-ins, which the poll workers hate, but they love me as an individual. <laughs> they've been seeing me for years and they're like oh david hey um can you do me a favor and don't write all over your ballot this time i'm like i can't do that for you <laughs> and they're like well i figured i would try there you go so you because just... for some reason like they've got to fill out a whole bunch of paperwork for every write-in they've got to figure out make sure that they spelled it right like andrew napolitano is written directly yeah, exactly. I mean, I know it's a I know it's a process for them, but it's you know it's your right in the in the ballot to to write in a candidate. So, so just to make sure, just to clarify, you don't have you're not like philosophically opposed to voting. You know, you don't see it as like a perpetuation of the state as long as it's done defensively, right? Everything's a perpetuation of state. I mean, if I drive on the roads, I'm perpetuating the state. If I buy a soda and ten cents of tax sales tax, the state, I'm perpetuating the state. I mean, I think that's silly. I think that like pushing the idea that you have to vote for one of them in the two-party system and pushing the idea that you know that voting for Trump is better than voting for you know Bernie Sanders I guess marginally <laughs> um, I guess that that promoting the two-party system and saying you know it doesn't matter what the election is it doesn't matter if you don't have your perfect candidate in it doesn't matter if there's someone that you disagree with just pull the lever for them because they're better than the other option I don't. I think that that's that's perpetuating the state, but I don't think that just voting itself is a system that's already there, just like driving on the roads. I don't think I don't think it's feasible to try to push the idea that we tell every single person in our neighborhood to stay home for an election. Yeah, that's. I agree. I agree with actually pretty much all that. That's 
to everybody in your in your neighborhood, say, okay, hey guys, you know, voting is violence. We need to stop voting, and they'll be like, <laughs> you, how can you, you know, you can be that far down the rabbit hole yourself, but your neighbors are not going to be, and they'll never listen to you if that's what you start out with. See, so okay, so this is a great, actually, a great segue. So we've talked about on a national level of like maybe perhaps using a, a vote to try to get, or even on a local level to try to get your your you know, defensively or however to try to promote liberty. But you, you brought up a good point and that's addressing it on the level of the community. So it, let's say for an example, you know, you run into an encounter like this, what's usually like your first steps or what would you recommend to people as far as introducing the ideas of liberty? I don't know how it comes up because it's, it's almost like every conversation can have an opportunity to mention how government abuses us. Yeah. So usually I start with that. I, I usually like to tell people that I don't have any faith in government, that I don't trust government, that government doesn't give us money that's really worth anything. Um, it's, it's all an imaginary thing that, that eventually will not last. Um, so if I'm at the store and somebody puts a little ink on my $20 bill to see if it's fake, I tell them if it's an American bill, it's fake. <laughs> that fiat and they, currency and they do double take they're like are you admitting to to a felony here and I'm like no 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 you don't understand all American money is fake because it's not really money it's just a piece of paper backed, backed by nothing backed by faith in government I'm like what does that even mean it's like faith in the United States and trust that they'll pay back their debts but what if they don't pay back their debts and what if we it's not even humanly possible so at that point what's this money really backed on and how long is that going to last I mean, right now, it's basically just backed on military might. Namaste. <laughs> there you go. I mean, right now, it's just backed on the fact that we're a world superpower, the fact that we're in, you know, over 1,000 bases in over 200 countries around the world. So that's really what's holding it all up. When, when that runs out or when that doesn't work anymore, that money's, that money's worth just like any other fiat currency that's collapsed. Ours just happens to have lasted the longest because we've got I mean, we've got the strongest system set up to protect it. But in terms of having an actual backing, it doesn't have it. Yeah, so, so that's that's usually actually a good opportunity. People are interested in that. People want to know about money. Um, they don't teach you these things in school. They don't teach you them in college. They don't teach them in high school. And you know, people in my neighborhood some of them didn't even pass middle school, but you talk about money and it not being worth anything and they want to talk about it. Yeah. It's a, I usually call it the oil dollar. Cause that's, if, if you were to try to find any commodity, the fact that nat or global oil sales are done in us dollars is probably the only thing it's got going for it. But I wanted to ask yeah. you, are you a fan of the gold and silver standard then? Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Or, or anything that can, that, that has, you know, that you can attach it with, rises and falls in value. Um, I'm not really the best person to talk to about this. I'm not really a full-fledged economist or anything like that. I'm, I consider myself uh, an adherent to the Austrian school, which to me means if I hear an Austrian economist say something, it usually makes a lot of sense to me. <laughs> yeah, typically, yeah. yeah um, typically, if, if, if Mises or Hayek or, uh, or Ron Paul says it or Tom Woods or uh, Dr. Roberts, then typically I'll be like, oh yeah, yeah, that's off point, because it, every time it, it just lines up and makes sense to me. But in terms of me laying down my economic policy and things like that, I'm not really the guy to go to. I don't go that deep into it. You're more focused on like the social aspects of a libertarian society. Yeah, I, I think that it's all important. I think it's important, you know, that there are people who studied this philosophy and, and have been able to show how it works um, in theory. I think it's really good that people are there to point out how all of this could work in theory. But on my end, I think it's important also to have people who are trying to put it into practice and prove that it works. So that's where we come. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm I've leaning on my mirror. I hope I don't snap it off. Oh no, you're fine. Yeah, I hope you don't break it either. So you and I are both handcaps. <clears throat> Excuse me. You and I are both handcaps. Yeah, generally speaking, I mean, I don't consider myself, you know, somebody who could pass the absolute purity test of anything. 
Yeah, I'm... but I generally consider myself an anarcho-capitalist. And to, to to go back to that point, when I was running for office, Peter had already gone a little bit further down that road than I had, um, and he had already considered himself an ANCAP when he started Liberty Means. He was completely done with elected politics after what they did to Rockall, and uh, he said, "I'll help you out. I'll petition for you. I'll vote for you because I'm one of those anarchists." who believes that it's okay to do things that might bring about more anarchic conditions. See, that's where so I stand. somebody like me, who's liberty-minded and actually ANCAP-minded at the time running for office, um, would be a step in the right direction for anarchists, even though it's me in elected position, which just sounds weird. But he really got me with that one. He said, I'm one of those anarchists who will do things that help bring about more anarchic conditions, even if it meant going through of what the state has already created. Yeah, so that's exactly actually what I was going to go, where I was going to ask you about, because I, I usually talk about this this term that I've coined that has been, you know, it's been talked about plenty, but I just came up with a silly name. I call it transitarianism, which is the idea that mm -hmm. the only peaceful way to reach this Ancapistan, if that's what we want, is to is through measurable change over time, right? You know, so... Yeah, I think, I think that plays right into what we do in the Liberty Means community group. Now, I started that because we were starting to get sucked by the algorithm. Um, that's why I started that group, was to have basically an army of people who would, who would support Liberty Memes no matter what. And I guess that sounds cultish or whatever the crap it sounds like. But it's a group, it's a fan club for the advancement of Liberty Memes. I mean, if you like Liberty Memes, you'd be there and you would do that, one would think. That's all. Nothing, nothing extra special about me requiring everybody to, you know, do anything else, or even requiring anybody to be involved at all. Just, like, don't try to ruin it. But anyway, kind of getting off on a tangent. No, I mean, um, it's fine. It's I, created, it's... I created, that's the purpose that I created the group for, was to help us break the algorithm and be able to have a base that I could share stuff and they could help it go viral. Because it's the Liberty message. Why wouldn't they want to help it go viral? So that's what I created the group for. And within a month, we were presented with the opportunity to help volunteerism in action with a fundraiser that they had. And I understood immediately how that applies to libertarian philosophy about if the government shouldn't do it, anarchist philosophy about if there's something worthwhile, it'll happen. So I said, this is something that we should do. We should be involved. We should be that catalyst in this in this situation, we should be the people who make that happen, this thing that we don't believe the government can do. And I decided that, that was an excellent way to also change libertarian culture uh, toward generosity. And generosity is important. Charity is important. You know, when there's no generosity or charity available, people have this tendency, and it's because they've been taught this in school, that if there's something that's not available you know, to you, you need to run to government and ask for it. So our goal is to create a society where people aren't running to the government. They're thinking of other things that are there to take care of them, like private charity or like libertarians who have to be extremely generous. But there's the catch. Libertarians aren't very generous. Because we have this thing in our philosophy that teaches us, you know, don't touch my stuff, don't touch my wallet, don't touch my money. Um, and so anything that is asking for your money is inherently a tax. Or it's just, it's the same. It's, if, if the government can't touch my stuff, then I don't want anybody else touching my stuff. And what they fail to... Add, they fail to add the caveat to that line of thinking of it's okay to do it if you want. It's okay to do it if it's a nice thing to do and you're able to do it and you want. So they, there's a lot of people who think that charity is really bad and that being involved in charity as a libertarian is a total no-no because you know we're against taxation and against giving our money to stuff. Well, it's not really true. I mean, if we really believe, like we say, with libertarian philosophy, where if the government's not providing something, somebody will step up and provide. So why won't that be us to show that that philosophy actually works? 
Yeah, and uh, you know, I think just to the as we typically call them the potato-tarians, but regardless, people who, like you said, you know, fall under the sphere of self-identifying libertarians, they, they fail to, miss, to understand the fact that it's all voluntary. It goes back into volunteerism, not in the sense of volunteering like your time, but the fact that no one is forcing you. No one is holding a gun to your head saying you must donate this money, you know. Exactly, exactly. And so that goes along with they've got that philosophy ingrained in them, the don't-touch-my-stuff philosophy, and they – and it's fine to do that. Like, nobody has a right to steal from you, but it's okay to be giving. And the problem that we have as libertarians is that we're not out in the world showing people that we're giving people. And statistically, libertarians are actually the most charitable anywhere. They've done studies on this. Really? And, and libertarians are the most charitable of people who, you know, identify with a, a particular political philosophy. And they've shown that liberals are the absolute least charitable. And it's <laughs> yeah. because they rely on government. And if they don't rely on government for it, they want people to suffer. They want people to suffer enough to want the government to do something about it. So they won't get involved in actually helping to solve a problem. They like when problems fester because then they can have their people take care of it. It's kind of... It's kind of evident in, in when you watch House of Cards. Like one of the first things <laughs> that he won a bill on was listening to the police scanner, hoping for a shooting. Just I mean, waiting for problems. it. They want problems and they want them to stay. And if volunteerism is a solution to the problem of money not being available, they don't like that. They don't like that at all because they want people to have to run to the government for those problems. And otherwise, they want those problems to fester until people run to the government. <laughs> so, I mean, you really look into their philosophy. That's what they want. I mean, people talk about collapsitarians, but liberals, they don't want the system to collapse so much as they want people to constantly be suffering, to constantly have some reason to justify their people who are in the government. Dang. Yeah, I mean, I've never really thought about it that way, but that's definitely true. You know, they're looking for opportunities to push their narrative whenever possible. And, you know, you mm -hmm. see it, you see it with every, like you're talking about, you see it with every tragedy, every shooting, it is immediately followed up by this is why we can't have guns in, in our modern mm -hmm. 2019 society. So that's just one example of plenty. Agency or that new agency or this, or this new set of paperwork. Yeah. It's really just anything to, to justify their existence. Um, and the agenda is the same thing. I mean, those are all opportunities to justify their existence. And otherwise, they want people to suffer. So, like, um, liberals love, and, you know, the commies love to talk about sticking it to the big bankers. And when I showed that there was a woman who was being abused by the big banks uh, to a liberal crowd, they said, oh, yeah, yeah, that's terrible. Let's raise awareness. But nobody donated a penny. <laughs> so I brought it back over to the libertarians, and they're like, yeah, yeah, we don't like these big banks, and we're going to help this person because we're charitable individuals. Just to answer one of the questions in the comments real quick, uh, we have someone from outside the U.S. here. Uh, I believe it's pronounced uh, Shahab. Uh, excuse me if I pronounce that incorrectly. Yes, is there a libertarian party in, the, in America? Uh, yes, there is, and I kind of wanted to talk about that a little bit uh, as well, so it's a good way. Okay. Yes, there is a Libertarian Party in America, um, nominally Libertarian and by nomenclature Libertarian, but mm -hmm. I'm not sure about, you know, their Libertarian purity. Obviously, there's candidates that are good and candidates that are bad. When it, when it comes to being involved in a political party, it's not really my cup of tea, but there are some Libertarian candidates that I'm sympathetic with, and I'll help them out every once in a while. Um, but I don't know. I don't know about parties. I'm yeah. not really. I'm not really a fan. Uh, like I said, I've been through it before, and in my region, it doesn't change much. But if a good candidate comes along and they're on that party line, I'll go door to door for them, and I'll try to spread their message. But, but yeah. Um, for me, there are libertarian parties that absolutely suck in certain states. Uh, on a national level. It's give or take. There's people that I absolutely love who are, you know, among the leaders on a national level, and there's people who I can't stand. Um, I guess you'll have that in any political movement. 
so you love a Canadian fan. Um, but I think that it varies because there are states where they never win and they never have a good candidate and they're just a bunch of lunatics or they're just there to say, well, the three-party, the two-party system is evil, so we're a third option. I don't think there's much philosophical grounding in that. Uh, and then there's states like Texas where the Libertarian Party is just like, and they don't necessarily win on a state level, um, but they do pretty well on a local level. And in terms of spreading the word and being very well organized and very dedicated people, I think the Libertarian Party of Texas is a, is a pretty good one to support. These last uh, midterms. The oh, party in New York is like upstate is like Ron Paul type people, and uh, and downstate is more like the the Nick Sarwarks. But every <laughs> once in a while, you get, you get a Larry Sharp thrown in there. So yeah. I mean, I was just saying about the Texas LP. I mean, we had in a five-time incumbent, a district away from mine, get replaced by a brand-new 25-year-old libertarian candidate. So I think it just shows... And, and the Texas LP? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they, they really run a, a really good operation down there. Uh, most of the counties do really well. And they're in competition, I guess, for every four years um, at the state convention for some sort of award each county. Mm. So, so they do pretty well, and their state conventions are, are amazing. The one I went to, 2016, was all of the presidential candidates were there for a debate one night, and then it was me and Julie Borowski and Peter and Robert Murphy and and, uh, and Jeff Tucker. So many, so many cool people. Jeff Deist was there. That was pretty cool. Yeah. So, so, yeah, going back to the Libertarian Party on a national level, actually the advice that comes from most of the thinkers, like the Mises Caucus, the advice from them is actually that every single Libertarian in the country should find, like, one race in, like, the whole country to support. <laughs> because they see it as, like, the resources are really split up. And I think that's a good idea. I think that's a good idea for parties where, or for states where the party really kind of stinks and just puts up a guy to be that third option. I think it's a good idea for those libertarians to be involved elsewhere, to be involved in like a mass effort. But in places where the LP is doing well, like in certain districts of Texas, I think those people should just focus on what they're doing and keep going that way. And I think they shouldn't get distracted by statewide or, or national elections. There's been an interesting conversation about whether the LP should even front uh, a president, you know, honestly, at this point, as if, if it's just a misallocation of resources and if we should be looking at winning these local elections. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, it, like I said, it, it's give or take. I, I, it depends. If there are districts that the LP is doing really well, maybe they shouldn't be involved in that. And if there's districts where the LP is just trash, then anybody who's a libertarian shouldn't be worried about fixing their local party and just get on board with it if whatever's going on that's working somewhere or whatever's getting attention. So if a national election is getting attention, jump on board with that. But if in your district you guys are doing really well and getting people elected, don't get distracted. I mean, it's it's different all over the country, really. Yeah. So I mean, I... it's just like it's just like anybody else in any other party. You know, if you're a Democrat that lives in a completely Republican district, what do you do? True. If you're a Republican that lives in, in a completely Democrat district, what do you do? You know, and I'm not talking about running for office. I'm just like, what resources are you giving to what? What, in your personal belief, is going to change? You know, toward what you believe in. By what you do, by just voting for a Democrat or by just supporting a candidate in your local area. If you're in a district where you supporting a candidate is never going to change anything because that person's never going to win because they're in the wrong party to win then what would be the point of focusing locally other than reaching people on an individual basis? But in terms of like electoral politics and what a party should dedicate their resources to, if a party is in a district where they just totally suck, they probably shouldn't dedicate their resources to that and should find something more worthwhile that, that helps spread the message or grow the party if that's, if that's the thing you're after. Yeah. So I, I usually talk, I mean, I'm a baby libertarian by most people's standards. I, I, I was politically active for quite a while um, before I could even vote. I was you know, following politics, talking about it, staying interested, learning. And uh, 
you know, I got to, I was point where I was a constitutional conservative, but it was actually, it was Gary Johnson. I'd heard of libertarianism. I never really took it seriously, but it was Gary Johnson actually, who made me say like, okay, I kind of like some of the stuff this guy is saying. And it brought me to broader libertarian philosophy and lo and behold, now I'm an ANCAP. So I think there is some validity to the fact that just having exposure at all, being on those national level news organizations, you know, do you have any do you have any update on Bill Wells trying to run against Donald Trump as a uh, Republican? He's, he's still running. He had a fundraiser last week. Okay, so he's still running and still planning to be on a primary ballot with Donald Trump? Yep. He's That's uh, interesting. It's a, it's a page out of the Gary Johnson book. Not the primary sitting president, but it's a page out of the Gary Johnson book to running for Libertarian Party nomination. Mm-hmm by first running as in a Republican primary and being able to get on a debate stage and get your name out there and then jumping over. So it almost seems, it seems like that might be what he's doing. I think a lot of libertarians will piss off at him. Um, I mean, I know I am, but yeah. for other reasons. But I think in terms of his strategy, I think what he's doing is trying to get some recognition first and then running for, you know, he wants to tell everybody, I'm a Republican governor. And I did this Republican thing and that Republican thing, and he'll do that on the debate stage. And he could, for all of the gun control he passed, he could still probably out Second Amendment Donald Trump on the debate stage if they ever get that far. Yeah, if if it if it even gets that far without dropping out, I know he's he's I got fundraising. He's gonna drop out. I also think if he, that he's probably gonna drop out and try to run for LP nomination. Um, so it's it's interesting. It's interesting what he's doing. Um, but that was actually the reason I – that was the first reason I didn't like Gary Johnson. It was because he did that during Ron Paul's moment. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So he did that in 2012 during the Republican debates. He was there, and then he dropped out before any votes were cast in, in the caucus or anything. But he was there just to be on the stage and say, oh, well, there's another option if you're libertarian in the Republican primary. And he never actually had an intention of being another option. He was planning to drop out before the primaries even started so that he could get the libertarian nod. And that bothered me. Yeah, I mean, it's just splitting up the voter population. That was one of the the places where the Libertarian Party and Ron Paul Republicans really had a rift because... There were a lot of libertarians who were like, well, Gary Johnson's more libertarian, so we're going to support him now. Even though in, ter- in terms of publicity, Ron Paul was having surge, uh, a surge. So it wasn't – I didn't think it was fair for, for Gary Johnson to just jump in and, and try to pick that moment and for people to be like, well, there's another option. It, it kind of bothered me. It bothered me that there would be another option at all when we actually had an opportunity to coalesce around one person. You know, and a person whose name was already out there. So that was kind of lame. Yeah. Do you so think that's actually that was actually one of the that was that was my first beef with Gary Johnson was him running in the Republican primary and getting libertarians around the country to start arguing about which one is more libertarian, which is like a stupid argument we already do all the time. Why did you do this? <laughs> it really it really thrust on us this you know, libertarian purity argument because Ron Paul was already running. He was already doing great. Every libertarian in the country was behind him. And then suddenly another one showed up. And then we all just had this rift of, you know, oh, you're with Ron Paul. Well, you're not really a libertarian or you're with, you know, you're with the LP. Well, you're, you're not supporting it. It just made us all fight each other and it sucked. And it hasn't changed since then because every once in a while, LP National through Nick, will post something about how, you know, we're not we're not worshiping family dynasties like the Bushes and the, and the Adamses or whatever. We're not we're not pushing family dynasties like the Clintons trying to run Bill and Hillary or stuff <laughs> like that. So they'll post something on their national page like, you know, oh you guys like Rand and Rock Hall? Well all you're doing is it, it's all cult of personality. Um but we're running real libertarians over here. And it's just it's just annoying. It's not even necessary. That they do that every once in a while. They just try to I, – I get it, you know, to try to get people involved and, and get, a, get a reaction from people. 
And I guess from the Larry Sharp point of view, it's good that that happens because it motivates other people who hate that to get involved. But it still really, really bothers me when people from the LP try to diss Ron Paul because in our generation, the vast majority of LP members would not exist if Ron Paul had not been running for president. I mean, he opened up the door for pretty much all of the talking points that are used now. The word libertarian had, had, was in relative obscurity besides, you know, every once in a while, a stripper or a shock jock saying, hey, I'm going to run as a libertarian. I mean, that's basically it. Other than that, people didn't know what libertarian was, what the libertarian party was, that there was a philosophy. Anyway, just, every once in a while, you would hear about it through Roseanne Barr or Howard Stern. Other than that, people who didn't like Roseanne Barr or Howard Stern were not involved in anything with libertarianism. And we first heard Ron Paul talk about being a libertarian, and that's what got us inspired. So what do you think about – I've had this conversation before, but what do you think about if let's, – let's roll back the clock. Let's make – Rand Paul, you know, or Ron Paul, a little bit younger again, and let's say, do you think he would have even a chance in this current political climate if he ran? Let's say he ran again, you know? No, I think I think that Ron Paul had his moment, and he was right, and and the people who were allowed to see his message pretty much latched onto it. You know, he was right about the Obama administration, the way they would use precedent from the Bush administration to carry out all sorts of things. And that really happened, and he was right. And I guess younger, in the current political climate, obviously you've got a sitting Republican president, and Ron Paul would be running as a Republican. So I don't think that he would do it right now. Yeah. I think maybe if he was younger and four years from now, I think he would do it and try to get the message out there. But I just don't – I think that a lot of the people who were involved have already given up. So in the current political climate – They've either defected on to a new movement or they've just given up and don't want to be involved. So I don't think I don't think currently that you know I don't think you could run the win because because people are, are have already moved on or given up. And that's unfortunate, but that's just where we are right now. There's obviously things that can wake that up. I th I think one of the most compelling arguments I saw was actually from a collapsitarian and they basically were making the argument that we have reached a point in modern politics to where it's it's not so much about making sure your ideals get through it's about weaponizing government against the other side it doesn't you know hmm. it's about you know either rolling or starting up a healthcare thing or or getting rid of guns or it's about rolling back uh, these things or it's about putting a new legislation to you know whatever the republicans want to push you know and and i think there's this grain of truth to that it's honestly kind of you know, it, it can be what, what's a good word. Uh, it can be demotivating at times to see things like this in action. But I, I do think that there is, there's still, there's yeah, in I people. There, I think there's a lot of people. Who, I think there's a lot of people who do that. And I think the majority of people who have been passionately involved in one movement or another can easily lend themselves to doing stuff like that. But I'm not a fan. Yeah, I'm not. I can't say I'm necessarily a big uh, fan of the I idea mean, that, either because that goes from I mean that goes from the point of just like not being involved to being in a way directly involved in government violence. Yeah, I because mean that, that's you, because you you want one party over the other to do something abusive so that it hurts the other party. I hate that. I mean that's that's what you were talking about earlier, right? The perpetuation of the state by this whole like oh well. Trump's better than Hillary. Like I'm not. I'm not going to vote for Donald Trump. If even it could be Bernie Sanders, it could be S Stalin brought back to life. I'm not going to vote for uh, Trump well, against them. Yeah, it could, be, it could be any of those people, but you're not going to vote for one over the other because they both suck. Exactly. And to to tell me, okay, well, it'll be my fault that Hillary Clinton wins the election because I didn't vote for Donald Trump. You get the hell out of here. Why didn't you put up a better candidate? Yeah, exactly. Right. I'm, well, it is actually getting late now, so I. Yeah. No, that's fine. I think we had a great discussion. I think we talked about a lot of good things. It was good having you on. Why don't you go ahead and uh, give everybody your plug I for the podcast? Try, I try to be a little serious. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was good. It was good. 
I try not to make you know to be too silly. <laughs> I do these kinds of interviews, but uh, I'm also kind of paid to be an entertainer. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you are you are definitely a personality within. <laughs> So why don't you go ahead and give your your plug for the people in the uh, in the podcast, and also Celeste asks for a brap. There we go. <laughs> Did it without showing any teeth, so it looked like an old man. Little old man brap. There we go. <laughs> Good brap. stuff. Um, so I gave you two, so that means you owe me a Wegman belt when I come up to Niagara Falls. Niagara Falls. <laughs> yeah, that's where Celeste works at Wegman. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't don't stop stalker guys. Seriously. Like Niagara Falls already has plenty of stalkers. They'll just they'll just stab you to take your bike. Oh Lord. Yeah, no, I don't want them to take my bike. <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah, so Liberty Memes. We in my opinion have been one of the most effective libertarian organizations on the planet in getting the message to a wide audience and an audience that sticks around and becomes libertarian and wants to know more. I think that that's what Liberty Means has done for the last six years. So if you like that, and if you appreciate the work that we've done, why not join the Liberty Means Patreon at patreon.com slash liberty means. Chip in a couple bucks. Show your appreciation. I'm a part of it. You guys should be too, in my personal opinion. But hey... <laughs> In our first year in existence on Patreon, which is not completely closed out, it has not been a full year yet, but it will be in about two weeks, Liberty Means actually peaked through for a few days in the top 500 in the world out of over 138,000 active accounts on Patreon. So that's pretty cool. That's a really big deal, in my opinion, that we were able to get that far up the list in less than a year. So I want to say thank you to the people who helped get that done. But I also think that we could do a lot more. We've done a lot of charitable stuff. I've given nearly $30,000 cash straight out of my pocket to various causes that we've run through the group. Um, I don't always use my GoFundMe profile. So I haven't reported all of it publicly. But mm -hmm. if anybody wants to see all my receipts in my inbox, I can show you a screenshot of that. <laughs> but anyway, um, giving away a lot of money of my own cash, um, all the Patreon money that was raised through last through February, basically, is gone because I've given it away. So even though it was supposed to be a salary for myself, I gave it away. And I think that the bigger we grow it and the larger, you know, the more participation we can get in it, I think I'll be able to give away a lot more money. And I like doing that, and I like helping people, and I like libertarians being the solution, being the change that we wish to see in the world. So with my proven track record, people would say, hey, you know, here's three bucks to do what you want with, and if we grow this big enough, I know you're going to end up helping a lot of people with it. So that's what it's about. Yeah. It's like we talked about last episode, so if you, if, you know, we're, we're doing good, but if you feel like you've done what you need to, you've got the wrong mindset. There's always more that we can be doing to push the movement. There is always something we can do. Um, people can say, yeah, we're, we're, uh, hold on, car coming by. Sorry. No, you're fine. Yeah, people like to say, yeah, um, you got it to $1,000 a month, you know, why don't you quit there? I mean, that seems pretty good. Um, we're done, right? You're not going to keep asking people to join anymore, <laughs> are you? Why, why would we stop? I mean, if it's effective and it's working, why would we stop at some point and say, okay, we've done enough? Keep going. This is something to be act, you know, liberty activism is something that I've got in me for the last 13 years. And like I said, I have a track record, a proven resume of all the things that I've been involved with and that I've been effective with. And my brother as well with, you know, with Liberty Memes and the various things that we've done for activism. So it seems a reason that we're dedicated to doing that. And we don't see any change of plans in the future of suddenly not being Liberty activists. So if people want to support some of the most active Liberty activists in the country, then you can support us. Here we go. Fantastic. Uh, it was 
amazing having you on. I uh, appreciate you coming out here. Sorry for the technical difficulties, uh, having to make you wait for a little bit there, but I think this was a good conversation. The audience doesn't know. I've done this entire interview without being able to see your face. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> I don't know if it's over here or it's here, down there. I don't know where it is. You're on and the... I can't see any of the comments either, so I'm sorry I wasn't able to reply to any of the comments. But Christian is a good dude, and despite technical difficulties, this was this was great. Oh yeah, and oh, I can't. It was good uh, for you know for the people in the in the audio podcast when they listen to this, they won't even know that we had all these technical difficulties. So except for me mentioning it just now. So <laughs> why the heck did I bring it up? What a jerk! Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> no, I. I you're fine. You're fine. Don't worry about it. But yeah, it was it was great having you on. Um, maybe in the future we'll have to do this again. It just adds another dimension for your listener. There we You're go. Like, you know what? Like I was there. Yeah, exactly. Right. That's that's the goal. But. <laughs> All right. My wife just called me in. All right. Sounds good. Good. Don't make her wait. <laughs> Take. Have a nice Don't night. Watch. We're gonna watch Dexter together. Oh, there we go. More Dexter. Sounds like a good plan. We'll have to do this again, but. Take it easy. Awesome, guys. That was great. That was great. Fantastic. I'm so glad that we got through the majority of the technical difficulties and we were able to, to make this happen. Oh, yeah. So what I'm probably going to do is I'm probably going to cut this video portion out of like past technical difficulties on the second stream part and then post a video of just the Dadman interview. And then I'll, I'll take both of the, the streams, unfortunately, and mash them together, edit it up, and then we'll release a full episode like that. And uh, yeah, so that was awesome. We're going to go ahead and uh, wrap up the show here. I think that's a perfect note to end on. Just like Dadman said, there's always more we can do. Make sure to check them out over at uh, Liberty Memes. Go see Liberty Memes Community Group. Join the Patreon uh, it's a great community. I love it. It's what got me where I am today. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be here without it. Uh, so, but that, that's the end of the show. I hope you guys enjoyed it. We have a podcast on every major podcast just distributor out there. Uh, we have a Patreon at, uh, patreon.com slash Liberty after dark. And it is, Oh, what's this? Kate says, I thought you did uh, late stuff. I do sometimes, but, um, uh, yeah, we have a Patreon. You can go check it out there. Uh, any support helps. Everything from a dollar to a cup of coffee or beyond if you feel super generous. And uh, Frederick says technical difficulties are great. Uh, it makes the makes the live show just that much more interesting. Save that video too. Yeah, all this will be up there. I don't delete any of the live streams. Um, it's just part of the live video process. But uh, I will definitely be putting up an edited version with just the the dadmin stream so that people can watch that if they want to instead of having to slog through the rest of it so good stuff though all around if you guys want to send me an email about any anything you guys might want to talk about you can give me a contact at libertyafterdark.net we have a podcast it posts the most recent episodes at libertyafterdark.net and we also have a youtube channel which you know if we reach the patreon requirement we'll start getting some videos on there and uh just more of my time sunk into another project but it's okay i love doing this stuff so i appreciate it um I think that's going to be it, though. I hope you guys have a fantastic rest of your night and take it easy. Yeah, go ahead. Meme it as much as you want. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, go for it. No, no, no. Not slogging. Yeah. All right, guys. I'm going to go ahead and get out of here. I got to get some food, so take it easy.